Podcast Movies Edition, presented by Phil Hinton. Hello and welcome to this week's Movies Podcast. Coming up, we have the latest DVD and HD news. We review Spy Game and Beer Fest on HD DVD. And in our roundtable this week... Kaz Harlow, Simon Crust and Seth Gecko join me to discuss TV series to the big screen and from the big screen to the TV series. From AV Play, it's this week's DVD and HD news and reviews. And once again, it's time for the DVD and HD news. But before we start this week, one voice will be missing. And to tell us why, it's Seth Gecko. That's right, Phil. We're going to be missing Chris Mack this week because earlier his lovely wife Janet gave birth to his precious little daughter, Lucy Jane, just after Oscar night. And how convenient that was for Chris because he doesn't have to come on here and be ribbed now after his departed review and the fact that it won four Oscars. Yes, he did somewhat state that and uh, it won four Oscars. So he he looks better than me after my... uh, critical lashing of uh, Brokeback Mountain but yeah, at least I'm man enough to face up to that fact, he's done a runner. So well done to Chris and Janet, all the best from all the podcast team here and hopefully Chris will be back along in a few weeks to join us again and bore us all to death with his DVD reviews and comments on the round table, so well done Chris and Janet and that's from all the podcast team here. Well done Well done. And as you can also tell um, Kaz hasn't paid his phone bill this week, so... <laughs> We're having to talk to Kaz again on the uh, telephone this week due to some Skype problems. That's what you get for buying a laptop from the back of a car boot. So let's get started with the news. And first up is Kaz. So what have you got to tell us about Kaz? Well, I've heard about the latest release of uh, the Oscar-winning Helen Mirren film, The Queen. Uh, It's out on the 24th of April for $34.99 on HD DVD. So I'm sure lots of people will be pretty chuffed to see that released in uh, glorious 1080p. And yeah, I suspect it will have quite a few buyers after the Oscar at one. So The Queen, it wasn't a film which uh, I wanted to go and see when it was released, um, but it seems to be getting really good critical acclaim and now an Oscar. So any of you guys tempted now to pick this up and have a look at it? No. <laughs> so the long and the short of it is that I don't trust the Oscars after The Departed. I'm not likely to go out and see the Queen. I think Helen Mirren's a great actress, um, but it's not the kind of movie that particularly jumps out at me. And the fact that it's won an Oscar, um, as I said, because of The Departed, uh, I don't really trust them. And because of years of the the Oscars going to the wrong people, I don't really trust them. But yes, it hasn't swayed me. Kaz, what did you score The Departed as? No idea, but I'd probably give it a a fairly good rating, just not as highly as the movie it was based on. Maybe it got seven or an eight. I can't remember. All right. And how many Oscars did it get? Four. Yeah, too many. Four. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it got it got an Oscar for um, it got an Oscar for all the wrong reasons. It got it, like Scorsese got an Oscar because he hadn't had one for years, 
and they waited until he did a movie that he didn't deserve one for and then gave him one. Moving on, we'll go to Simon this time. Simon, what news do you have? Well, I've got some uh, news for Doctor Who fans. There's uh, two new titles coming up from the classic series. The first one on uh, May 28th is the four-parter Robot, which is Tom Baker's first story. I quite like this particular story. It's uh, He burst himself onto the screen and we had him for seven years and he was my favourite Doctor and I just uh, adore him quite beyond his actual talent. So how did he manage to burst himself onto the screen then, Simon? How did he manage to burst on the screen? Well, the story goes that he rang up the, um, rang up the production office and demanded to, uh, to have some work and they agreed to it because he was uh, working on the building site at the time. And the rest is for history. Once he was on his first story, that was it. So, uh, what else is coming along, Doctor Who-wise? Well, um, his namesake, Colin Baker, gets the uh, second release. That's uh, sometime in June, with no, no actual fixed release dates yet, sometime in June. And it's a two-part story, Time Lash, which is quite, quite appalling. So we go from the sublime to the ridiculous. I don't really think I'll be picking this one up. So moving on, Sony Pictures Home Entertainment has announced the US Blu-ray release of Donnie Brasco Extended Cut on the 8th of May 2007. For anybody that's not seen this film, it's uh, Al Pacino, Johnny Depp in a gangster drama which was directed by Mike Newell. The Extended Cut is unrated and will have a runtime of 147 minutes which is uh, rough maths here, about 20 minutes longer than the original. Is that right, guys? My maths right there? That's right, yeah. Uh, this will be... Yeah, thanks for that, Kaz. This will be uh, <laughs> digitally... Re- <laughs> oh, it's all going pear-shaped already. Where's Chris when we need him? Uh, digitally remastered for the best possible quality and in picture and sound uh, the Blu-ray will be presented in 1080p widescreen and will have an English PCM 5.1 as well as a Dolby Digital 5.1 soundtrack the only extras listed at the moment will hopefully match the DVD but we haven't had this confirmed yet so they should see a director's commentary and the exclusive featurette Donnie Brasco out of the shadows I've got to say this is possibly in my all time top 20 list I don't know about you guys I absolutely love this film it's definitely my favourite Mafia movie. I prefer it over The Godfather. I know it's heresy, but I actually think this is a much better movie. Tough call. I'm not not sure whether it's um, my favourite, but it's got to be in the like top five Mafia movies for me, and that's that's pretty high praise. Al Pacino's amazing in it, and it's it's a really nice um, small time crime drama rather than perhaps the epic style of The Godfather movies or the the glamorous style of The Godfather movies. This is a lot more. Well, in as much as I know, realistic. So before anything else goes wrong tonight, uh, we're going to have Seth with his news and he's going to mumble for the next seven lines. Off you go, Seth. Sony Pictures Home Entertainment have announced the US Region A Blu-ray release of Volva from the 3rd of April. It's going to have a price tag of about $39 and stars Penelope Cruz. Um, it's going to be presented in a 1080p 235 widescreen ratio with a Spanish PCM soundtrack and Dolby Digital. Um, you'll get the obligatory subtitles, obviously, and more importantly, we're going to have the making of and an audio commentary with the director and Penelope Cruz herself. So I quite like the look of this one, personally, but there you go. It might just be because Penelope Cruz is in it. So thanks for that, Seth, and um, we've made it to the end there. We're just setting up again to do our DVD reviews, which are coming next. 
For the biggest and best DVD and HD news and reviews, visit avplay.com. So, like I said, it's now time for our DVD and HD reviews, and kicking us off this week is Kaz. He's now paid his phone bill, so he's here with us on Skype. And Kaz, what have you been looking at? Well, I had the opportunity of revisiting Spy Game. It's a 2001 spy thriller starring Robert Redford and Brad Pitt, directed by Tony Scott, and uh, it's got to be probably in my top 25 of all movies, and certainly one of my favourite uh, spy thrillers out there. It uh, relies much more on storyline and on intelligent scripting than on effects, but there is plenty of action there to keep you thrilled between the dialogue, and um, it's a spot-on film. It's basically about an old um, CIA operative who's on the day of his retirement, and he finds out that his young protege has gone off the reservation and is about to be disavowed by the CIA, and he has to pull out all the stops, use years, decades of training, and uh, outwit all of the bureaucrats who are trying to let this guy get killed. And um, and it's, it's spot on. It's a perfect role for Robert Redford. And it, watching it again just reminded me of uh, how old school actors like Redford or Newman, um, when they're on screen opposite people, the younger actors like Brad Pitt, who I think is a great actor, just outclass them uh, in every way. And uh, this is this is a great movie. Um, it's come to us on HD DVD with a, a 1080p high def transfer in its original 2.35 to 1 aspect ratio. Um, it looks tremendous. It's not quite as good as uh, the video presentation on Constantine, which I reviewed recently. That's got to be the best video presentation I've come across so far on HD. But it's it's pretty spot on, and it follows all of Scott's desaturization on his co- on the color palette. It follows it all perfectly. Um, presents good detail, little grain, no softness. It's it's a very good transfer. The soundtrack is Dolby Digital Plus 5.1, and it's also very very good. I mean the scoring and the soundtrack that Tony Scott has chosen. It's just the perfect sort of thing to show off your new equipment, and uh, it's it it comes across um, supremely. Uh, the extras are only what we get on DVD, but they're still worth a watch. Uh, You're talking about deleted scenes that are actually worth watching. Uh, More Redford, more Brad Pitt. Talking about a commentary that is worth listening to. You know, Tony Scott does interesting commentaries. And it's um, overall a really, really nice package that if you haven't seen Spy Game, if you haven't even heard of it, then you should go and pick this one up. This is the definitive release of it, and you should have it. If you've seen it and you like it, then you're going to want to upgrade to this. Um, I certainly wanted to, and I had the wonderful opportunity of reviewing the damn thing, so spot on. Racing-wise, the film gets a 10 from me. Not many films get 10s. This film gets a 10 from me. Uh, the video gets a 9, the audio gets a 9, the extras get an 8 because they didn't bother to do anything HD exclusive. But overall, I'd give it a 9. It's fantastic. So thank you, Kaz. And moving on, we have Simon. Simon, what have you been looking at? Well, um, the uh, the latest disc that I've looked at um, today, in fact, was Beer Fest, the unrated version released a little while ago. If you've not heard of the film, you can probably guess from the title, it's about a load of guys drinking. Um, Essentially that's it. They go to Not Oktoberfest, it's a secret drinking organisation called Beerfest, 
where countries compete against each other to win the uh, beer goggles or the title of uh, best drinkers. Um, you can probably gauge from my voice that I didn't really think much of this film. Um, it was rather puerile and infantile, um, and it seemed to glamorise drinking over and above anything and everything. I uh, really didn't enjoy this film. Um, I can think of no redeeming features. It wasn't funny, and for a comedy that isn't funny, well, really, you've sort of stumbled at the first hurdle there. Its presentation, though, is pretty good. 2.4 to 1, 1080p high definition transfer, and it looks pretty good. Um, it's not the best I've seen yet. Um, it's nice and clear. It's um, very detailed. The colours are bold and striking. Um, it shows up the horrendous CG that's uh, drinking in the boot. They drink a boot um, full of CG beer and manage to get drunk in it. Quite a miracle, that. But overall, the picture is quite good. Sound um, Dolby Digital Plus, English, French. Um, 5.1. Um, I listen to the English one, obviously. Pretty good. Good tone. Decent and decent array of bass. So there was a good net neutrality to the uh, to the sounds of the voices. Um, music come across pretty well. The score, um, nice um, AC/DC track. Have a drink on me. Obviously, quite an obvious choice there. But I quite like the song, and it come across very, very well. Not very many surround effects, even in in during the games when you've got the crowds cheering and out. There wasn't a huge amount to get really excited about it doesn't make full use of the surround format but it's not bad there's a whole array of extras um, half an hour of deleted scenes which I got about 10 minutes into and thought this is rubbish there's three featurettes um, mainly about drinking games and uh, the sort of pranks that got up to on the set again really not much to get um, into there really two commentaries which pretty much say the same sort of things with just a different group of people talking about um, again, the fun and games that they get up onto set, really, um, I, I found it quite boring. And the theatrical trailer, so um, overall I think you have to be um, a drunken or be drunk to uh, get anything of any uh, benefit out of this film. Personally, I'm going to use it as a coaster. So you said it had a French 5.1, you'd probably be better off watching it in French, were you? Yeah, you might get more out of it. And uh, how was it you described it? Puerile and what else? Infantile. Sounds like my kind of film. Thanks for that, Simon. <laughs> and uh, what was what was the final score for that one? I will think I'll probably give that a two. Oh, that's a bit generous. It was a bit generous because it's quite a good transfer and quite a good sound, so it deserves um, something. For more DVD news and reviews, visit avplay.com. This week's Roundtable Discussion. So moving on with this week's Movies Podcast, and it's now time for our Roundtable. And like we say, there's no Chris this week. So this may be over with in the next seven or eight minutes. So this week's subject is film adaptations from TV series and vice versa, i.e. TV series that have made it onto the big screen, or big screen movies that have then made it into successful TV programmes, or not so successful. So to kick us off this week, let's hand over to Kaz Harlow. Well, I can think of uh, some pretty successful movies that went e- uh, that uh, have been made out of TV adaptations. Um, if you're looking back, you're looking at like Miami Vice, uh, classic Don Johnson, wonderful suits, that uh, classic TV series that has been made into something that is actually worth watching. 
by Michael Mann, and uh, and then you have the reverse, a film like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which probably isn't worth a great deal of your time, being taken back to the small screen for a, a series that ran for seven excellent seasons by Joss Whedon, and starring Sarah Michelle Gellar. So I can I can think of movies to TV and TVs to movie. People would probably be familiar with something like Charlie's Angels, uh, which seemed to maintain a fluffiness in both uh, big and small screen. Um, or you've got maybe Firefly going to Serenity. But the biggest example of recent times for me is Miami Vice, because as a TV series I didn't find it all that compelling. As a movie, I thought it was pretty substantial with some good performances and some great direction. It had actually become grown-up stuff. Kaz, why were those examples so successful in your mind, and what made them so successful? Well, I think if you've built up some kind of fan base through being a TV series, even if it's a even if it's a different generation fan base, still younger generations pick up on it a little bit. I don't think, I don't remember seeing Charlie's Angels when I was a kid. It, maybe it just didn't appeal to me, but I'd still heard of Charlie's Angels. And um, so when Charlie's Angels came out, I, I already knew something about it beforehand. And I think that studios love going for that. Once, once you know something about a film, they, they love cashing in on that knowledge. Um, it's only occasionally that they, that they make something decent out of it, as some of the films I've mentioned. But, um, but they will definitely get, gain success out of that fan base. I mean, they, they keep pitching ideas like making a movie out of the A-Team or crazy things like that. But, um, you know, the, the ones they've picked so far uh, have been a mixed bag, but always successful, in my opinion. So, guys, do you think it's, uh, the studios go for TV series into movies because there's a guaranteed audience there? I think that's um, pretty much the thinking behind it. Um, certainly TV series to films. I mean, they've been around for years and years and years. I mean, if you go way, way back to, uh, to the 70s, um, you've got um, I Being Served. Um, that was a reasonably successful uh, half-hour comedy show, ran, ran for a good few years, um, that made the jump to um, the big screen. The, the film itself, I actually quite enjoyed, um, but because they stuck to the same formula, and um, th- there, are, there are plenty of other early films that I'm thinking of um, on the buses. That's another one. They had two reasonably successful um, films um, based on the same format. So um, in that way, the studios are looking at, yes, guaranteed audience. Now, the films aren't always particularly good, and sometimes the writers and creators of the films uh, of the TV series don't want to make a film. Um, a good example would be Forty Towers, which was always muted to make a possible film, and uh, John Cleese always said, no, 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 can't do it, because half-hour show, half-hour sitcom into an hour and a half, as it was then, but more more likely two hours now film, doesn't always translate. Um, if, and if we go right up to date now to The Simpsons, which is uh, released this year, I believe, will that work? I don't know. I'm hopeful. Uh, but that's all I can say because of, I think, the past history. You, you've mentioned some successful ones there, Simon, but you know, for every successful one, it seems to be that there's five or six absolute shockers. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, I've, I mean, I've mentioned some reasonable ones. I wouldn't say they were successful, but they were reasonable. Um, but as a general rule, uh, film adaptations of TV series don't work because of the, the half-hour format to uh, transcribe to an hour-and-a-half, two-hour film. It just doesn't seem to work. They can't seem to sustain the momentum. 
Um, if we look at The Avengers, for example, which was a hideous, hideous film. Well, The Avengers did have one redeeming factor, which was Uma Thurman in tight leather, but generally speaking, it was an absolutely abysmal movie. But that then goes on to illustrate all the bad things about TV adaptations to movies. Um, Dukes of Hazard, uh, awful TV show, awful movie. So it was pretty faithful in that way. Starsky and Hutch, awful TV show, awful movie. Pretty faithful there too. I think somebody wants to mention um, the X Files, but I won't. I won't touch that one with a ten-foot barge pole at the moment because um, I don't think it particularly worked all that well. Certainly, from my youth, and this was a, a point for discussion, was Battlestar Galactica, which was ultimately a TV show. But over here, we got the pilot as as a movie, a cut-down version was a movie at our, at our local uh, flea pits, and then it was the TV show. And it's still a TV show. It's just infinitely better than what you know was in the past. Yeah, the, the thing with Battlestar Galactica over here was it, uh, it hit just after the Star Wars sensation. So you could see the thinking there about getting it on onto the big screen. You know, spaceships, space battles, that kind of thing. But when we look at the 2006, 2007 version of it uh, as a TV show, it is infinitely better. And I think the the reason for the success, I mean, correct me if I get this wrong, because it's only my opinion at the end of the day, you guys might think something different, but I think the reason why it's so successful um, is because it's a character-driven piece, uh, a character-driven drama, which just happens to be set in space, so it hasn't got that sci-fi geekiness about it. I don't know what you guys think. See, I always thought that the reason why it was more successful was because it didn't have that dog Daggett um, or Jane Seymour in but had a hot blonde in the white in, in the form of Trisha Helfer but that might just be me yeah I think that's just you <laughs> mind you I'm glad the dog isn't it because that was rubbish um, but as a, as, a, as a series Phil you're dead right it's fantastic and I love it I really really do just a shame that Virgin have taken Sky off my blocks now so I can't watch it anymore <laughs> I have to wait for the DVD release or the HD DVD release in a couple of months well, time. exactly yes um, but uh Seth, you mentioned the X-Files. Yes, it was me. I did want to bring that up um, because that was slightly um, a slightly different um, approach, um, a very successful TV series that ran for probably two seasons too long, in fact. Um, but they had a, a mid-season break in which they filled in um, with a feature film which carried directly on between seasons, which I thought was a novel approach and a, uh, and a very successful money-making exercise for them. Um, and I thought it was quite a, quite a good film, actually. I did pop to see that a couple of times. Um, you see, the thing with that, though, Simon, is I I hadn't seen the seasons, those two seasons, and I only went into the film, and it made no sense to me whatsoever. They, 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 they were banking on the fact of the success of the TV show, that people would go and see the film. There was no backstory to it. You just you had to go in knowing the series to get anything out of it. Cut off your, your audience, though, don't you? Um, because you're only then depending on your, your TV uh, followers to come and see your movie. Yeah, but at the time, it was the most successful show um, in the world, wasn't it? You could say the same about the Star Trek, I suppose. Yeah, I suppose you could, but the thing with the Star Trek films was you could go in without knowing the universe, without knowing the characters, and pick up because it was it was a full story, whereas um, I think with the X-Files, it, it was a story arc that went over about nine seasons, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, they, they, I said it was too many seasons. <laughs> They should have stopped yeah. a long way before. It was no, it was nine seasons, and the movie came in between six and seven, I think, or five mm. and six, somewhere well, around there. I mean, to be honest, I'd had my fill by about season four, and um, lost interest after that. So, I mean, I went to see the movie just to see if it would work on the big screen, and to me, it just didn't work whatsoever because you had to know 
the story arc and, and where things were going. So, moving on from uh, from the X Files, which was a TV series to hit the big screen, let's go for uh, something that was on the big screen and has hit the small screen or is rumored to do so in the future. And I understand uh, Seth wants to come in with this one uh, because it's got something to do with Angelina Jolie or something like that. I don't know. It could well do. Um, Mr. and Mrs. Smith is actually being cast at the moment for a uh, TV show in the States. Now, so far, we've got, um, I think it's Jordana Brewster, um, who's going to play the Mrs. Um, and I think it's Martin Henderson is going to be playing the Mr. Uh, of the uh, TV show. I, I just don't see it working. I mean, obviously, because it doesn't have Angelina in it. So that's lost one viewer in, in me already. Um, and a, a second point is it hasn't got Angelina in it. Now, I know that's technically the same point, but it's such an important one for me. It's worth mentioning twice. Thank you, Red Dwarf. I just don't see the necessity of them having a big movie like that and then thinking that they can put it onto the, onto the small screen. Um, for me, it just isn't going to work. It was a very good self-encapsulated movie. It said what it needed to say, you know, from um, the point that their marriage was up the creek or they find out that they're assassins or they get back together, they kill everybody, game over. That's it. Boom. There it is. Now they're going to do it like a 24-episode season. I just, I just think they're just going to flog a dead horse there. I suppose you're right with with the uh, source material there, but I think we're forgetting about one very, very, very popular movie from the early 90s, which made it into a very successful uh, TV series, which has had spin-offs as well, and that's Stargate SG-1, which followed on from the Stargate films. So Mm -hmm. um, that has got to be uh, one of the the successes when you're talking about big screen to small screen. Without doubt. Well, I see I can't comment because I couldn't stand the movie and couldn't stand the TV show, so... I can. I'll agree that it's popular. But well, I mean, it yeah. kept it's it's kept the sci-fi channel in the states going for for the last five or six years, and without that, I don't think we would have seen Battlestar Galactica hit the screens again. You know, if Stargate hadn't been so popular. I mean, it obviously has a huge audience out there. I don't know about you, Simon. I, I don't know if you follow the TV series. Um, I used to actually. Um, you know, with, with various um, channel hops, when it started bouncing around the, the various channels, I sort of. Uh, uh, lost, not, not 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 lost interest in the show, but I lost interest in trying to keep up with the show. Um, and I was um, fortunate to re- to review um, season eight, I believe, um, a couple or six months ago or so now. And uh, such was my love of the show, I could actually pick myself up from you know missing. Oh, it must have been two years worth, maybe even three years worth. And I still found it a fantastic show, and it really is. The plot line of Stargate was one gate, wasn't it? to one world but they opened up the whole uh, universe in fact to have a whole network of these stargates throughout the whole of the universe and so they they made the series much bigger than the film that it was based on yeah and as you said there was uh, an offshoot as well stargate atlantis which isn't quite so good um which has gone to a completely separate universe uh, i think if i've got that right but um, a very successful show that one as you say it has kept the sci-fi channel going and uh, hooray for battlestar galactica so, guys, do you think, um, looking at the example of Stargate, it built up a, a believable universe, and even when the film was finished, you wanted to find out more about that and more about the characters. Do you think that uh, uh, films that are like that, that build up a, a, a unique world or unique characters, uh, do you think that translates better over onto the small screen because it's giving the writer something to start with? 
I think uh, I think it does work in those in those cases. I mean, Stargate, um, Buffy, and even they've done it with Blade. Now, you, you, you've got a strong character or a strong set of characters, uh, a different universe, uh, distinctive bad guys, and sort of an ongoing mission. You know, classic Star Star Trek example. Um, it works well on, on the small screen, and you do want to find out more, and you. It doesn't rely on something which needs to be ended within a two-hour movie, and and as was mentioned earlier, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. It's the stories told in those in that time, in order to make it into a TV series. They effectively have to go back and uh, retell the story in the pilot episode and change the ending so that it's like an ongoing feud for the rest of the time. And I I don't always like it when they do that. There are a couple of examples where. It works out well, um, like Nikita. I loved the. Uh, I was going to uh, say Nikita. Sorry, guys. I loved. I loved the the French original. I hated the Hollywood remake. It was such a waste of uh, of good talent. I mean, what the hell was Harvey Keitel doing? Anyway, I I loved the original, and I was dreading the TV series. But a couple of seasons into the TV series, and they've done quite a lot with the original concepts. I mean, they haven't done a Robocop on it and taken the characters and just ruined everything that was about them. Mm. And I think uh, I think Nikita works well for that. Buffy worked extremely well for it. I haven't seen the Blade series, so I can't comment on that. But it follows on the same concept, that if you've got something good to start with, which is open-ended, you can go places with it. Let's look back through the ages then. And, and are there any examples of um, classic TV which has made it onto the big screen and has actually worked. I guess there you're talking about Mission Impossible. Oh, that's your leader. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mission Mission Impossible, classic 60s TV show, um, created by Bruce Geller, uh, starring uh, the likes of Martin Landau, some like good acting talent. Okay, there was Leonard Nimoy as well, but you know, it was uh, it was a great TV show. I I loved every single episode of it. It's uh, okay. There's some t- terrible concepts in there, but there's also the idea, the overall idea of beating people by uh, tricking them and using them to against themselves, and it it, it was just um, it was intelligent, clever TV series that kept going for ages with in, you know novel ideas every single episode. They decided to revisit it. Brian De Palma himself decided to revisit it a few years ago with the first Mission Impossible movie. Uh, I like Tom Cruise, and I think he he does really watchable movies in increasingly demanding roles. But um, it, the first Mission Impossible movies, and arguably all of the movies, have been very much Tom Cruise vehicles. And that was not what Mission Impossible, the TV series, was about. Um, so I ended up liking the movies for different reasons to the TV show. There's no team in the movies. It's just Tom Cruise saving the world. Um, and I, I think that uh, they lost something there. Uh, so that's a prime example of an old classic TV show that's been brought to the big screen. And what about another classic from the 60s, Fugitive? Wow, that's an old one, Harrison Ford. Um, yeah, I quite like that film. Didn't think much of the series, though. Well, they sort of went back and forth with that. They had the old series, and they made the movie, and then they tried to do a new series uh, with, I think, Tim Daly and, and a bunch of other people, and it, it, I don't think it worked. I think it was pulled after maybe a couple of seasons. But the film, yeah, I mean, that's... That's uh, Harrison Ford. He's always uh, reliable, but uh, Tommy Lee Jones. I mean, he's just he just outclasses everybody in that. He's he's very very good in that role. 
And then he went on to star in about four or five roles that were exactly the same in these next four or five movies. Mm. Yeah, not too sure about the idea of doing U.S. Marshals as a sequel either. That was um, that was a bit pushing it. Just to start to wrap things up a little bit, and this will make your your brain matter uh, work on a Sunday night for a change. TV series which is running at the moment or has been running in the last few years. Which ones do you think would make a good transition to the big screen? Oh, the obvious TV show into a movie is going to be 24, because they keep on wanting to do that. But I'm not sure how that can work. How can you have a 24-hour I, I think film? that would be an interesting concept. It'd have to be called Two Hours, wouldn't it? Just, just two, wouldn't it? <laughs> just two. <laughs> Number twos. The sequel could be four. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the trilogy would be six. Well, kind, kind of works. Three goes into six. At, at least twice. <laughs> I think you'll find it's not at least, but very much a case of exactly. Yeah, well, like like I was saying before, my maths isn't great. So, okay, 24, it could maybe work, but you're going to have to try and get it into two hours, which um, may go against the grain of, of, of what the series is actually about. Anything CSI. else? CSI. CSI. Make sure it's Vegas. Miami's rubbish. Yes, I can see CSI working as, as a as a film, especially okay. after the Tarantino episode, the double bill. That that was almost a film. So mm. okay, almost, you, almost you're saying CSI? Why would CSI work? But I mean, the the episodes are basically um, it's forty five minute shorts anyway, um, and you have got the occasional um, double episode, as Kaz just mentioned, the, the Tarantino one. Although he prefers it a lot more than I do, because it is very much a self-contained thing, i.e. there is a murder, um, they're called in to investigate, and they go through the evidence. There's no reason as to why that wouldn't work on the big uh, big screen, and you don't need to have watched the TV show to appreciate it. Okay, anything else? I mean, one that's, uh, that's being very successful at the moment, I don't know how it would transfer to the big screen, but uh, Lost? I think Lost lost its way. <laughs> I think Lost never had it. Yeah, I'd agree with that, actually. Okay, so I'm the only one that likes Lost. Okay. No, I still like it. I still watch it. It's just it's not it's not going anywhere substantial for me. It needs. It, it feels like the arc is so damn big that they're just going to stick new islands on there until it turns it ends up being Fiji. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, then as a film, right. as a film, they could tie it up quite nicely, couldn't they? Yeah, that would be good. Like now. <laughs> so that you don't have to endure more seasons of it on TV. Yeah. So uh, anything else which is on the box at the moment? I mean, I must admit, I, I really don't watch an awful lot of TV. And if if I watch TV programs, I tend to buy the DVD box sets and mm-hmm. sit and watch the whole thing in a weekend. Um, I'm not one of these people that set the video recorder or the Sky Plus these days to record things. So anything else out there that you think would transfer well to the big screen? What about something like um, Band of Brothers? Yeah, I think that would have made a really good movie. It's a Spielberg-produced TV series, and um, I, I think that, in a way, it had those Saving Private Ryan tones. They could have easily turned it into a movie off the back of it. Um, it's one of those. Sh- it's one of those examples of where they could have. Uh, they, in fact, they did make a, a mini-series out of what they could have made a movie uh, for. And, uh, you know, they should have done it with, like, Alexander. They should have skipped all of that and made a ten-part miniseries, like Rome. Um, and at the end of all of these series, there's no reason why they can't tack on a film to round off everything with big battles and, you know, sort of sum it all up. Uh, one I haven't seen, so I don't know if it would transfer to the big screen or not, but I know the guys at work are absolutely mad about The Shield. 
Is is that something that could transfer to the big screen? The shield would look tremendous on the big screen. I think, uh, yeah, Michael Chiklis, well, he's, he's done a, a few movies. Admittedly, you know, he's probably more famous for being the thing, and you can barely recognise him in it. But he'd be a great leading guy. Okay, guys, moving the conversation on a little bit then. We've talked about TV series which have made it onto the big screen or which would look good on the big screen. So let's go vice versa. And uh, movies that are out there at the moment, either old, new, or still to hit the screen, which ones do you think would make good TV series? And let's start with Simon. I uh, see. Now, I've always had an idea now, um, for, for a great TV series. Um, two Jedi Knights going around the galaxy solving problems. So that's obviously direct from uh, some sort of Star Wars offshoot, and I think that would be a make a great TV series. Well, you say that, and guess what's coming? Uh, really? Yeah. So Nick, Lu- my idea. Uh, Lucas actually nicked your idea, Simon. Yes, he did. Um, no, they are um, prepping at the moment. You've had the animated um, yeah. cartoons, uh, but they are going to do a live-action Star Wars TV series. So that is coming. So Wow. So yeah, but you see, I th- I think I've heard about this, and it doesn't have the Jedi's in it. What you can't have Star Wars without Jedi? It's like well, it's like Jedi cameo, but I mean, it's not it's not quite what Simon's saying. I agree with this, that that idea of having two Jedi's, but they they're not going to go with that. They're going to go with something that'll be more of a TV sitcom sort of style, with the the uh, Jedi's coming in from time to time, or at least the hero's supposed to be more your Han Solo type. And I think the Jedi's are the key to Star Wars. Star Wars sitcom. <laughs> I can't believe I'm having a conversation with a bunch of beardy, weirdy fanboys. So I suppose the next one is Lord of the Rings. Oh, God. Just That's shoot it. me now. I don't... We don't need that. Deep Throat, that'd make a good TV show. <laughs> we'll just ignore him now. So come on in, just one last movie which could make it into a good TV series. Let's let's see what what we can think of in, in five seconds. Off you go, guys. What can you think of? Terminator. Okay, let's go with that. Terminator. Um, I think it'd have to be set in the future, the uh, the the, uh, the future wars, rather than uh, because they've sort of exhausted the coming back in time aspect, um, because the war actually happened in the end of. Uh, Terminator 3, didn't it? So uh, it would have to be sort of some sort of espionage, futurist, war, spy drama, which I think could work quite well, actually. And if they, yeah. if they did it as a character-driven piece set around the Terminator universe in the same way a la Battlestar Galactica, you could be onto something there. Yeah, I think that would work very well. It makes sense. I mean, John Connor is the sort of the head of the Rebel Resistance. We know that, we know that from the movies. Why don't we watch him and his party of Rebels against the machines? Duh. Yeah, so we'll have to copyright that idea very, very quickly. Well, that sort of wraps up our roundtable for this week. We haven't decided what we're going to talk about next week because we're going to leave that to you. If you'd like to come up with a topic to talk about on the roundtable in next week's Movies Podcast, then please email your ideas to help at avpodcast.co.uk. That's help at avpodcast.co.uk. Send us your ideas and uh, maybe send us a couple of comments as well and uh, we'll discuss all the ideas next week and we'll pick one to go with and maybe line a couple others up for the coming week so you guys can take part in what we're saying. Hopefully Chris won't be away for too long. Hopefully he'll be back soon. So all I need to do now is thank Cas Harlow, Simon Crust and Seth Gecko for joining me this week on the round table. And like I say, we'll have your ideas next week. 
Made by enthusiasts. For enthusiasts. Wow, a free movie, thanks. This is the AV Podcast. And that's all we have time for for this week's Movies Podcast. Don't forget, email your ideas to help at avpodcast.co.uk and we'll see you again the same time next week. The AV Podcast was presented by Phil Hinton. Original music by Andrew Bassett and Richard Cosgrove. The AV Player Review Team were Chris McAnini, Cass Harlow, Simon Crust and Seth Gecko. The AV Podcast was mixed and produced by Phil Hinton and the senior producer was Stuart Wright. All content including sound clips and music is copyright material and featured for promotional use only. The AV Podcast is copyright M2M Limited.